Hey there, friend. So this is a extra special bonus episode of Old Fashioned On Purpose. And I don't really know if bonus episodes are a thing, but they are now. So basically what happened or what is happening is I have this idea. It's a timely topic that I didn't want to delay bringing to you, but it didn't really fit into my theme of last season, which was gardening. I mean, it kind of does, I guess. I don't know. And it doesn't necessarily fit into the theme of the upcoming season, which happens to start this week. And I'll tell you what that theme is at the end of this episode. But I still wanted to make sure that I brought it to you sooner versus later. So we're calling it a bonus and we're smushing it in between seasons. But here's why I thought this was so important. It is spring, or at least it's dang close to spring. Now, as I record this, we are under a very heavy blanket of wet snow, and we are supposed to be getting a monster storm this weekend. I don't know if that actually will come to fruition, but that's what the weathermen are saying right now. Uh, anyway, that's actually a hallmark of spring for us in Wyoming. We get some of our biggest, wettest snowstorms this time of year. But even though there's snow on the ground and my kids were literally building snowmen this morning, I have seeds sprouting in the basement. I have eggs incubating on my desk. We have calves being born literally as we speak. Christian was out all morning dealing with calving. So spring is here, snow and all. And something happens to us homestead folk when spring hits. We start getting a little crazy in a good way because we've been reading books all winter. We've been watching YouTube videos all winter and reading blogs. We have all these ideas. We have our big list of projects, probably in your old fashioned on purpose planner that I know many of you have, and you're ready to get after it. Like it's go time, baby. Like we got to get this started and we start making lists and we start getting the husband or the, <coughs> excuse me, the wife on board. And we get kind of rabidly excited because we can smell the green grass and the days are getting longer and there's just that feel of possibility in the air. Now, sometimes that's a little overwhelming. Sometimes that's a little bit uh, disconcerting trying to figure out how to fit everything into the calendar. But it also can be a little bit frustrating as you're excited for all these projects, but you're trying to figure out how to squish them into your budget. Because most homestead projects, not all, but many of them have some sort of price tag attached, whether you're wanting to buy a milk cow or you're wanting to build some fence or put in a new chicken coop or plant some fruit trees, like it costs money. Now we've talked about homestead finances on some previous episodes, you can dig back into the archives for those. But in essence, what I have learned and through our own journey through finances on the homestead there's basically two ways you can approach this. The first way when you're trying to figure out how to fit more projects into a budget is to start pinching those pennies, right? And we did this for years. Um, we reduced spending in other areas. We worked really hard on getting out of debt so we could apply, you know, money that was going to payments into projects instead. And that was a great decision, one of the best we've ever made was to get laser focused on being debt free, you know, not doing movies or eating out all the time, just all those typical things, saving money so we could put more money towards homestead stuff. And that is a great option. I highly recommend starting there. It, it works, right? And it also helps you become a better money manager. 
But there comes a point when pinching pennies will only get you so far. You know, you've pinched as much as you can. There's just nothing left to trim. And at that point, you have to expand the budget. And there's a lot of ways to expand a budget. It can be, you know, picking up a couple side gigs. It can be starting a little business. It can be selling things that are in your basement that you just don't need. Um, there's lots of different ways to do this. But for those of you who have followed my story, you know that we started off with little side jobs and bartering and doing things like casting bullets in our shop. And that gradually transformed into us starting legitimate businesses. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. That is has been the ticket that has allowed us to build our homestead the way we have wanted to build it in the time frame that we have accomplished that. It's made all the difference. Um, and I'm not saying you have to start a business to be a homesteader, absolutely not. But homesteading and entrepreneurship, they kind of go together like peanut butter and jelly. And there's a lot of aspects of an entrepreneur that homestead folks or homestead-minded folks kind of naturally possess. And so I know this to be true also because I hear from a lot of you, you guys have that interest in starting the business or figuring out maybe not even a business. Maybe that's like too big of a term. Maybe just figuring out creative ways to make a little extra cash from things you're already doing on the homestead. So it's not even like you're starting a big fancy corporation or anything like that. You're just taking skills and resources you already have and figuring out how to monetize them so they can help fund your homestead dreams. So today I want to talk about a little bit of my own homestead business journey. And it's always fun to hear about other people's mistakes. So I thought I would frame this in my three biggest homestead business mistakes. How you can learn from my mistakes, you don't have to repeat them yourself. Because I think sometimes people look at where we are now, and they see our greenhouse, and they see our property, and they see our raised garden beds. And it looks like pretty smooth sailing. We've talked about the messy middle on this podcast before and how easy it is. We all do it as humans. We see someone's beginnings and we see their ending and we kind of just gloss over the middle of what it took to get there. And the reason that can cause frustration within us is that we discount what it takes to get to a certain place, whatever that may be. And we start to feel bad if our path isn't smooth and isn't moving as quickly as we thought it should or think it should, it causes a lot of frustration and discouragement. So you know me, I like transparency and I love to share what it really is in real life. So that's what we're doing on today's episode. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment an old-fashioned lifestyle, and I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. 
have you ever seen, I wish I could show you this, but it's audio only, obviously. There, there's that a graphic that floats around sometimes on Instagram or Facebook. And it's something like the entrepreneur's journey. I don't remember the title, something along those lines. But basically, it's there's two parts of the graphic. And on one side, it says what everybody thinks it's like. And it basically shows, um, think about like a, a graph a line graph. And it's just this line. It starts down in the lower left-hand corner and it goes up at a nice smooth slant all the way up, right? That's what a lot of people assume the entrepreneur life is like. You start at point A and you go up, you grow at a consistent rate all the way up to Z. And then on the other side of this little meme, it says what it's actually like. And it shows this same graph and it's like this squiggly line. It looks like my five-year-old you know, drew on this and it's like squiggles and ups and downs and backwards and um, it's this mess, right? And they're like, this is what it's actually like. And I think about that graphic all the time because it's so true. You know, when I'm sharing my story, like I did a couple seasons ago, I shared my origin story and, you know. It, before you listen to something like that, you just think it was so smooth and easy, but there's actually a lot of mistakes and failure in the middle. And that's nothing to be ashamed of because that's how we learn and how we grow. So without further ado, these are my top three mistakes that I made in my businesses and, and my homestead businesses and how you can avoid these same things in your own business, whether you have a, a little business or a big business. Okay, so number one, and just to reiterate, for those of you um, who are wondering what business I have, I've had a number of them over the years, and I have a number of them now, just to give you some background. Um, I started off with blogging. I still do blogging, but now blogging has morphed into YouTubing and podcasting and lots of other things, but blogging is actually a source of income for my family. Um, we've done doTERRA. I talked about that on a previous season, how doTERRA came into our life very unexpectedly and we shared oils and that turned into an income. We raise grass-fed beef. That is a kind of newer business that we're working towards. I've written books. I've created digital products. I've created like actual paper products. The old-fashioned on-purpose planner last year was one of those. Um, we are dabbling in real estate and we have I'm not quite ready to announce it yet, but there's something happening locally that we're working on that's almost complete with the first phase. And that's a whole new realm of business that we haven't yet ventured into. So I have lots of little business things that um, I've dabbled in over the years, I've experimented with, and they've all added up to quite the adventure. But okay, that's the background. But my first mistake that I've made, I think in multiple businesses over multiple years is that I did not take it seriously at first. Now, this is actually somewhat normal and I'm not sure it's entirely unavoidable because a lot of businesses start off as a hobby and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Let's say you make soap in your kitchen, you've made soap for your family and then you've been experimenting and you've gotten really good at it. So your friend asks you to make soap for her kid's stockings, you know, and then you start making soap as a birthday gift for someone else and people start to hear about it. And, you know, it's not like you started off with this intention to become the world's greatest soap maker, but before you know it, things are taking off and you're getting more strategic, right? So it's okay to start off with something as a hobby, but it's really important that if you 
want that hobby to actually be a business or you have intention of it growing to some point and actually becoming more than just something you do for two hours a month, you have to have that mindset shift at some point, right? So if you know this is a common phenomenon, it allows you to be able to shorten that curve. Um, And I did this in multiple areas of my business. Um, When I started my blog, it was just a hobby. And that was okay. Blogging is often a hobby and there's nothing wrong with that. And I kind of floated along and bubbled along until one day I was like, you know what, if I'm going to actually have this produce something and give me something back for all the time I'm putting into it, I'm going to have to treat this like an actual business, not just a hobby. Um, And I see a lot of folks, especially with some of these more homestead type of businesses, maybe they're making soap or candles or they're selling eggs or vegetables. And they're just kind of like, well, if it works, that's cool, I guess. And again, that's okay. But if your intention is to actually help your homestead fund itself, or you want to have a business that pays the bills someday, you're going to have to shift that mindset pretty quick and start taking it a little bit more seriously and start blocking off time to work on it and start paying attention to your expenses so you know what a product costs and how much time you have into it versus what you're selling it for. So that's something really, really important to keep in mind. No matter what type of business you are growing at the moment or you want to grow, know that at some point that switch has to flip and it has to go from something that you do in your spare time to something that you actively prioritize. All right. The mistake number two that I made in my business is (laughs) that I did not understand what was profitable and what wasn't. I am not a numbers person. Like I can do math. I'm not scared of math, but I feel like there's two types of people in the world. There are spreadsheet people and there are non-spreadsheet people. And I am a non-spreadsheet person. I have spreadsheet people in my life. Christian is a spreadsheet person. My wonderful assistant, Chris, is brilliant with spreadsheets. My business coach is a spreadsheet person. Jill is not. I am a little bit more of the artist brain, a little bit more of the creative. And so spreadsheets are not my first love. If they are your first love... I'm a little jealous because it's a great propensity to have. But this just means that when I started building businesses and my little hobby started to turn into something more serious and I started to take it more seriously, I was really good at the creative piece and the writing and the photography and all of that. But when it came down to the numbers, it just is not something that I naturally am interested in. And so I had to, I had to change that. I had to start learning and paying attention, um, to what something was costing me and what it was producing in my business. Now that can sometimes mean hard costs. So let's say you are making cinnamon rolls for the farmer's market. Maybe initially you start off just making the cinnamon rolls because it's fun. And then you have to start paying attention to how much is the flour costing? How much is the butter costing? what am I pricing these at? And am I actually making money or am I losing money or am I breaking even, right? So that's that's a common phase you're going to pass through pretty early in your business. But for me, and for those of you who are maybe creating online or you're creating a blog or, or YouTube channel, sometimes it's not as clear cut. 
because you don't have a hard cost of goods and you don't have flour and sugar to measure. So you have to start looking at this in terms of your time and what is a good use of your time. When I was first starting out, I said yes to everything, which at that point, maybe that paid off sometimes because it was a little bit of the spaghetti throwing at the wall, right? To see what stuck. And some of it stuck real well. And some of it ended up being great opportunities for me. But as I started to hone my skills and realize, understand who I was as an entrepreneur and what my brand was, I had to start honing down what I was saying yes to um, because I realized that my time is my most valuable resource. And you've heard me talk about this before. If you've been listening to the podcast, money is not your most valuable resource. Money, uh, you can always get more of that, but time, you don't get more of that. And it is extremely valuable. And, um, I used to just do all the things, say yes to all the speaking engagements, say yes to all of the collaborations. None of those are bad, right? But I learned I had to say no to sometimes good things so I could say yes to the best things. And even now I struggle with that. I like to to make people happy. I love it when people are like, oh, yay, you said yes. Like we all like that feeling. It feels good. Nobody likes to say no and disappoint someone. But the question I always ask myself is if I say yes to this, then what do I have to say no to? And sometimes it's saying I end up saying yes. And then I say, I have to say no to my kids, or I have to say no to my sanity, or I have to say no to giving myself margin. And that's not, those aren't trade-offs that I like to make. And so getting very clear on what was actually pushing my business forward and what wasn't was extremely crucial. And there was kind of this middle phase of my businesses where I was past the beginner point, but not quite to the point I'm at now where I didn't have a good grasp on this. And I pretty much drove myself into the ground trying to do all the things. And a lot of my other pieces of my business would suffer because I couldn't put time into the things that were actually creating revenue. And I was just saying yes to all the things. So Be aware that this is a really common pitfall that entrepreneurs or business owners fall into. Look at the actual costs of the goods. Look at how much time it's going to take for you to do this. If you do say yes now, maybe it doesn't feel like it's going to take much time, but know that it usually always takes more than we think. We tend to underestimate. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that in 15 minutes. Usually it's more like a couple hours, right? And even if it's not actively a couple hours, it it takes time to transition into that activity and then to transition out of it. So take that all into account and make sure you're saying yes to only the best things and sometimes passing on the good things. Okay, that was number two. Number three, the biggest mistake I made, one of the biggest mistakes was not having a plan in my business or a mentor who could guide me. Now, I can be very, very frugal and I am very stubborn and very determined and I can get a lot done with my stubbornness. Like it's maybe not the greatest trait, but it's also not the worst. I mean, if Christian's listening to this, he's laughing right now. But basically, I got along with free tools 
and free tutorials and free resources for a long time. Like if there was a program I needed to use to do something in my business and I couldn't get it for free, then I wasn't using it and I was going to go find an alternative. And again, there's, it's not a bad trait to have. Frugality is good. Um, being able to figure out alternatives is good. Creativity around that is great, right? But I got to this point in my businesses where I kept hitting a wall and my growth slowed down and I wasn't quite getting to where I needed to go with all of the DIY options I had used to that point. And I didn't know what to do for a while. Long story short, it was during that period, I got this light bulb moment that I needed to find a guide. I needed to find someone who had been there, done that to get me over the hump. That choice changed everything. It was not cheap. A good coach is not cheap. Uh, but what I paid that coach ended up being returned to me in spades in how my business grew and the revenue it produced. So I don't know what stage you are at in your business. It might be time for you to find a coach, but it, or it might be time for you just to invest in some trainings that are going to get you where you need to be. But if you're like me and you have a hard time putting money back into your business or putting money back into yourself, remember, this is, this is important, you are your business's biggest asset. And I've heard some really smart guys that I really respect, but coaches and businessmen and millionaires and entrepreneurs talking about, you know, they're like, well, so-and-so, what do you, where do you like to put your money? What do you invest your money in? You know, you have all this money in, in your bank account. What do you like to invest in to grow it? And he's like, I invest in myself. I put money back into myself for training and knowledge so I can learn and I can grow and I can do better. Because if you invest in yourself, then you have that much more power and that mean more tools in your toolkit to continue to grow your business, which then continues to feed uh, the bottom line. So I have never forgotten that lesson. And to this day, you know, I still go through periods where I fight a little bit on investing in trainings. And I'm always like, I'll just Google it. I'll just Google it. I can figure it out on YouTube. Sometimes that's the answer. But oftentimes, going that extra step and hiring someone or finding a program that helps me get to that over that hump or over that hill really makes a huge difference. So I've made a lot of other mistakes, but those are my three biggest mistakes for today's bonus episode. Number one, not taking it seriously at first or not taking it seriously fast enough, right? It's okay to start off with something as a hobby, but if you really want it to be a business, if you're calling it a business, you have to treat it like a business. Number two, not understanding what was profitable or where my time or my resources were going, that one came back to bite me many times over. So don't follow in my footsteps there. And number three, that unwillingness to find a mentor or find a guide to help me along the way. If I would have done that a little bit sooner, I could, you know, it would have helped me through a lot of those hardships. So there you have it. So my best bit of advice for you who are feeling pulled toward some sort of homestead business, maybe just a side gig, maybe it's not something you want to um, completely take over 
your life at this point, but you want what you're doing to pay for itself. Know that that's entirely possible. And it doesn't have to be a full-time job. I know a lot of folks who are getting creative with different things they're producing or growing or building on their homestead, and they're able to take the money they make from that and invest it back in. So it just becomes this really cool self-funding cycle. And I don't know of a better life of freedom and independence and self-sufficiency and all the things that we love as homestead-minded people than where you can be living off the land, growing your homestead, whether it's in your backyard or on 20 acres, and also be creating that income while you're doing what you love in the process. So remember, homesteaders and entrepreneurs, very similar. It's likely if you're one, you're going to have a pull towards the other. If you're a homesteader, you're going to have some entrepreneur traits. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have some homesteader traits. So if you're feeling that, roll with it and know that it is very possible. Also, for those of you who are ready to create a little extra income from your homestead, but you've been feeling a little unsure of how to get to that point, or maybe you're just overwhelmed at all the options out there, I have been working for the last I think it was four months or so to put something together. I'm calling it the self-funded homestead. Now, this is not a course per se. It's actually a bunch of done-for-you business frameworks. Basically, I've tried to make it as simple as possible for you to get started creating some sort of side income from your homestead, and you don't have to watch 89 hours of video to make it happen. So you can go check that out over at selffundedhomestead.com. I've got a bunch of bonuses, all kinds of good stuff in there. I'll drop that link down in the show notes as well. All right. So the next season, I don't think I've told you what it is. Did I tell you on the last episode of the other season? I don't think so. Okay. Here's what I'm thinking for next season. And it's starting this week. We are going to be taking a deep dive into self-sufficiency. And when I say that, that doesn't sound that exciting. Let me rephrase that. I have been very uh, alarmed, interested, curious. I don't know what the right word is. As I've watched um, all the things that have happened this year, right? I'm not going to belabor the point, but we have all the COVID stuff and the, the grocery store shortages. And we have the stuff that happened in Texas a couple weeks ago that was just so hard to see all those people in just these positions of not having water or heat. And the grocery stores, again, were sold out. So I've been thinking. That's what I do, I think. I, I think while I clean the chicken coop, I think while I need the bread. <laughs> I have lots of time to think. And I'm like, how can we, as homesteaders, but just as humans, how can we be more prepared? And I, I'm not a prepper, but like in the in the extreme sense of the word, I like to be prepared. I think ahead. But I'm like, how can the average person just be a little bit better prepared, a little bit more self-reliant? in the instance of all the weird things that have been happening lately. So we're going to take a deep dive to that into that in this upcoming season. I have a whole bunch of special guests. This is not a fear-based preparedness. This is not a alarmist-based uh, preparedness. This is just good, smart, fun, if you will, preparedness that's going to improve your quality of life on an everyday basis in the process. So that is what we're diving into. It's starting later this week. Super excited. So come back, stay tuned, and it's 
going to be self-reliance for everyday people like you and me. So that's what I have for you. Thanks for listening to my little bonus episode and we'll talk soon. Happy homesteading, friends. <laughs>